Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. What's up, everybody? This is Marty Friedman, and you are listening to Talking Metal. Listen, it's January 2015. Why not kickstart your new year and challenge yourself to learn something new with a free 10-day trial to lynda.com? Lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world and has over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, and business, as well as software training like Excel, WordPress, and Photoshop. I'm actually going to be learning Premiere. It's like an editing software, you know, like Avid or Final Cut, uh, but it's by Adobe. And, and a friend of mine just said, go to lynda.com to learn how to use it. Uh, that's what he did. And he was raving about the courses and videos he saw on lynda.com. So that's a true story. Anyway, all of their courses, um, their courses, of course, being lynda.com's courses are taught by experts and new courses are added to the site every week. Whether you want to set your new financial goals, find work-life balance, invest in a new hobby, ask your boss for a raise, find a new job, or improve upon your current job skills in 2015, lynda.com has something for everyone. Sign up for your free 10-day trial today by visiting lynda.com slash talking metal, and you'll get unlimited access to every course on lynda.com, access to view tutorials on a tablet, you know, iPhone or Android mobile devices, access to new courses that are added every week. Some of the courses, again, I recommend is if you're into video editing, you know, I'm a TV guy. That's where I make my living. And, uh, again, lots of great, great TV production video editing courses available on lynda.com. There's also a lot of great audio recording tech techniques that you can learn. Uh, you can get started in audio and music production, performing um, videos. There's even the band St. Vincent has some some cool videos that you can learn from on there so yeah it's something for everyone guys definitely go check it out do something good for yourself this year you know it's 2015 why not sign up for a free 10-day trial to lynda.com by visiting lynda.com slash talking metal come on go ahead i challenge you to learn something new in 2015 here's today's episode Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast. On today's show, we have very special guest Marty Friedman and a very special co-host, Mitch LaFon. Mitch, how are you? Good, good. Always a pleasure to do these with you. Oh, I'm glad to have you here, and I'm also glad to have Marty Friedman on the show. We've done well over 500 episodes of Talking Metal now, and we never have spoken with Marty Friedman. So it's always nice to get somebody that I've, I've never had the opportunity to talk to. And this is a fun interview. He gave me a, close to 30 minutes and we talk about everything from his new record Inferno all the way back to his band Cacophony, which features uh, featured Jason Becker and himself on guitar. And it's, it's kind of ironic because Jason was just on the episode before this episode. So we've had 
both the uh, cacophony guitar players on the uh, this episode and the last episode okay. on Talking Metal. Yeah, cacophony reunion right there. But, <laughs> there but what go. a scoop with with everything going on in the world of Megadeth uh, and rumors coming out that would he rejoin? Would he not rejoin? And you got him on the phone, which is fantastic. And of course, being in Japan like he is. He's not doing a lot of North American press, so double kudos for that one. Good scoop. Yeah, thanks, thanks. And and it's it's funny because he's somebody I I always wanted to interview. And when his video came out, he released a promotional video um, maybe oh a month ago or a month month and a half ago for a, a track off the new record. I reached out to his label and. They came back and said, we'll definitely get them to you after Christmas. You know, stay tuned. And sure enough, they came back and uh, and brought them right to me. So, you know, it, it makes me happy. I feel like podcasts in general are getting more recognition nowadays from from labels. And uh, it, it uh, is exciting for me to as a podcaster to to bring in these these names. I mean, you've been getting great names on your show, which is one-on-one with Mitch LaFon, which is part of Talking Metal Digital. Absolutely. Tell us about uh, who you have coming up on the show. Well, you know, the next one is is a double episode. I've got uh, John Humphreys of Seether. And, you know, there's a band that when people start talking about great rock bands, the name doesn't come up very often, which is sort of ridiculous because this year or in 2014, Isolate and Medicate, their new album, went to number four on Billboard. Uh, they've had two songs that went into the top 20. And just an absolutely talented band. They keep playing out, playing to sold-out shows, so there you go. And then I've got um, Kyle Sanders uh, on the back end of that episode, who's in Hell cool. Yeah. And of nice. Course, Hell Yeah's got the Blood for Blood album uh, and tour. Um you know, great episode, and it, you know it's a little outside of the hair metal that I normally do and stuff like that. But both guys, absolutely great, and I did bring some hair to it. Uh, Joel Hoxtra, uh, who's with White Snake now and was with Night Ranger previously, uh, co-hosted the episode, and uh, really proud of the of the episode. I think it's I think it turned out really nice. Yeah, I saw Joel on Broadway when he was the on-stage guitar player for Rock of Ages, which, wow, what a talent that guy is. Yeah, absolute talent. And by the way, you're so right about the podcasting thing. You know, I'm up to episode 84. This one with Seether will be episode 84. And on the first one, when I reached out to some of the publicists, you know, Joe Perry and Ted Nugent, they sort of went, yeah, all right, sure. And as we're getting into episode 84 and you're, you're, you've hit 500 and something, the calls are easier to make now. You, you get responses right away and you get these big name interviews that are set up within 48 hours sometimes. And uh, it, it just goes to show that podcasting really has, uh, you know, taken a hold. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And on that note, let's get into a little classic Marty Friedman, classic Megadeth, if you will. This is Reckoning Day, a song written by Dave Mustaine, Dave Elfson, and Marty Friedman.
What you just heard was a little classic Megadeth, the classic lineup of Megadeth, which included, of course, today's guest, Marty Friedman. And we're going to get into the, the interview with Marty in just a few minutes. But I wanted to ask you, Mitch, about you, your friend, Dave Elfson. You talked with him pretty frequently, right? Yeah, you know, I got the chance to uh, to meet Dave during these uh, during interviews and stuff, and we've become Facebook friends, and we'll write each other every so often. Uh, absolutely a great guy. You would think that having been in Megadeth for all these years and being so successful that it would be one of these untouchables with a big attitude, and absolutely not. Just an incredibly nice person and a huge Kiss fan, which I think is part of the connection is that we get to uh, talk Kiss once in a while. And of course, Megadeth covered Strange Ways by Kiss. So, uh, you know, absolutely great guy. Cool, cool. And I believe, on at least on his Wikipedia page, it says Marty Friedman was uh, kind of inspired to become a musician after attending a, a Kiss concert. So, Yeah, you uh, know what? I wouldn't be surprised. A lot of people that are in our sort of 40s and 50s who are in music at some point started were inspired by became inspired by because of kiss kiss was was huge in the 70s and 80s and that's where we sort of all cut our teeth right yeah definitely definitely and marty's first band or one of his first bands that kind of became known was a band i heard back when i was probably like 13 on a record called u.s metal volume two and I, I still have it in my collection. It has all these different guitar players on it. And it was all these kind of shredders. And it, it came out, it had to be like 83, maybe 80, even 82. And, it, you know, it was just, again, all original music by unknown shredders. And his band Hawaii was a part of that record. And they had a track on there. I don't actually remember the name of the track, but I remember it was, it was a decent track. And then we heard him his name resurfaced again a couple years later in the the great band with jason becker cacophony and he is still rocking hard today with this great new record which came out in 2014 called inferno and on that note let's hear a little bit of the inferno record and we will then get right into my interview with marty friedman
Hey, this is Mark Striegel from Talking Metal, and on the line, we have Marty Friedman. How are you, Marty? Pretty good, man. How are you doing? I'm great, man. Thanks so much for talking with us today. I want to talk to you about Inferno, which is a great record. And, you know, Thank for you. a lot of us here in the States, you've been somewhat off the, the radar for the past decade or, or maybe even more. And I know you've been very successful with your career in, in Japan, but, uh, you know, we suddenly got hit with this album in 2014, Inferno, which really just blew my mind. I think it's a really great record. And I just wanted to ask you, was there a conscious effort with you or your people to go after the global market and kind of get your name back out there, you know, outside of Japan? Well, first of all, thank you very much for your kind uh, words on it. Um, well, sort of, yeah. I mean, in Japan, I, things have gone really well for me, a lot better than I even had anticipated when I came over here. And um, it came to the point where you can only be in one place at a time. And uh, where I was more of an international musician before I moved to Japan, once I got to Japan, I just wound up doing so many things here in Japan that uh, I couldn't break away to do the things that keeps you in the public eye outside of where you live, like right. going on tour world tours and, and long tours and stuff. And I kind of had to relegate that to like, you know, three week runs and, and, uh, just little kind of outside ventures outside of Japan. It really kept me out of the public eye outside of Japan for quite some time. And, um, you know, which is fine with me. You know, I was really, uh, enjoying everything, uh, I was doing in Japan as I still am, but, um, came to a point, um, I guess it's about two years ago now that, um, Prosthetic, the record company Prosthetic, came, uh, got a hold of me, and they said, "Listen, um, I know we've released a lot of records in Japan only, and some in Europe only, and, and nothing in America. And I think there's a lot of people in America who'd want to hear that." And I'm like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> and um, yeah, so they they basically what they did was re-released a lot of my Japan only albums with the intent on uh, capping it off with a worldwide new release once all the re-releases have kind of gone out there. And um, that's exactly what we did, right according to the plan. And um, it, it was a great experience. You know, I, I really uh, had to make a record that uh, was not only for the Japanese audience, and I had to think deep and hard about what the whole world would want to hear from me, if anything. So uh, it, it was a, a long, arduous process to get uh, Inferno done, but once it was done, it's something I'm really, really excited about, even now it's been out a couple months already. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's getting great reviews, and again, I, I just think it sounds incredible. Let's break down some of the, the songs, I mean, because we have some really great guitar playing on this record, but also some really interesting and good song writing um one one that jumps right out at me i can't relax this is a real fun song can you tell us a little bit about who you collaborated with on this song and a little bit about the song thank you very much um yeah um this is probably the the closest thing to a rock and roll moment on the album it's a pretty uh heavy affair other than this song which uh um is something that uh, happened between myself and Danko Jones. And uh, we've been uh, kind of fans of each other for a long time and uh, and friends, and we've always been in contact. And um, we've always kind of threatened each other to do something together, and it finally happened. And uh, it happened very naturally and organically. I mean, if he was in my band, we'd have a song like this. If I was in his band, it would we'd have a song like this. So it's like really a perfect collaboration what a collaboration should be it should be like the ideal union of two people you know it's not right. like one guy and some guy blangs a solo over it and sends it in an email it's really like a collaboration so it sounds like what we both would do together so i'm really happy with not only all the songs on the record like that but this one with danko i mean uh it's like two buds in high school coming up with a rock song and making it a reality and uh it's it's uh, uh, one of my faves. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's talk about Alexi from Children of Bodom, who also joins you for a track. How did that all come about? Yeah, Alexi uh, um, 
came on the project uh, about halfway through, and um, there was a big long list of people that uh, the record company compiled people in the in the world of metal and rock and that have you know mentioned me as an influence or said nice things about me in the press or something to that extent and and I started contacting the people on this list to see who's interested in doing a collaboration and uh Alexi was one of the guys and I'm a big fan of his work and um and uh we came up with the song Lycanthrope and uh the way I did it for this whole record really was to let the guests write you know, I didn't want it to be like guest solos or guest vocals. I wanted it to be that plus something deeper. You know, if you write a song, your ass is on the line a little bit more than just throwing a solo out. So I wanted him to come up with the song. And then, of course, I could add to it and arrange it and produce it and play on it and all that. But having him write the actual song, the music and, and the lyrics and the vocals and all that really gets his flavor on there kind of like the Danko song as well so like yeah. my flavor is undoubtedly all over everything to the extent of too much at points but uh when the guests come in you can really feel the guests in there and that's that's what the reason of having guests are in the first place so uh that was a really really neat uh neat collaboration i mean again it sounds like if i was in his band children of bodom it would sound like that if he was in my band it would sound like that so it's a uh, Kind of unique collaboration. Right on. And there's a song called Whores that yeah. features a guy that you've had in your life for, for many, many decades. Jason Becker is involved with that song. Now, obviously, we know Jason's condition now that he can't actually pick up a guitar and play a guitar. So how how what was his involvement in the song? Is it songwriting? And how does he go about doing that? Songwriting, I don't know if you, have you seen his movie Not Dead Yet? I have, Tiny yes, Tunes? I have. It's great. So if you've seen that, you've got an idea of, of how he writes songs. But um, specifically, this song was kind of born from watching that movie. Um, there's a scene in the movie where they're showing how he writes songs with his dad on a guitar and, and a computer, and he's got this melody going. And I just thought it was a really nice kind of a spark of an idea. So I got in touch with Jason. I said, dude, are you using that melody for anything? The melody from the movie? He said, no, not yet. I'm like, how about if I take that and any other ideas you have and add my stuff to it and collaborate on a song together? He said, sure. So he sent me a whole bunch of ideas and I just kind of put them through the filter and added my ideas to it and uh, put together this kind of epic, long kind of a... Uh, I don't know how to, kind of like a cacophony on steroids type of song. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And uh, that's how it happened. Yeah. Great stuff. And, and, you know, again, guys, if you're listening to this, the, the movie is ain't, is not dead yet. Uh, and it's the story of Jason Becker and Marty is a, is a part of the movie. So I definitely suggest everybody track that down and, and watch it. And it, while we're talking about Jason and cacophony, how do you view those two cacophony albums now that, you know, a, 27 years or so has passed between uh, the time when you did them. Do they, do they hold up for you? Are you fond memories of making them? Uh, absolutely. The fondest memories of making them and all that whole period of time and touring and, and the band and all that. I really haven't gone back and listened to that stuff much or really anything really. I, I've never been one to go back and really listen to older stuff that I've done. Um, but what I can tell you is it seems that more people mention it as time goes by than they did at the, as it happened in real time. In real time, you know, it, it was kind of an underground thing, but people bring it up constantly, and uh, which is, is fantastic. I mean, uh, maybe it took a long time to grow on people or something, but uh, I think uh, people bring it up much more now than they did then, you know, and uh, – if it helps them discover Inferno because of Cacophony or if they discover Cacophony because of Inferno, that's all good. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I'm a little bit uh, fearful of going back and listening to it because there may be some certain things that I'd want to change on it. But uh, I'm sure I really, really enjoyed it at the time. Yeah, and it, it was, for the time, a pretty unique thing. I mean, you know, 
with two guitar players, intense guitar players like yourself and Jason, there, in one band, there really wasn't much, if any, of that at that time. I mean, Racer X comes to mind, but I, I don't even know if Bruce Bouillet had joined Racer X at the time you were doing Cacophony. And um, do, do you feel it was groundbreaking when you think back on it? At the time, absolutely. Um, it was groundbreaking to a fault. I mean, nobody could really handle so much guitar dissonance, really. And um, we were not as much into showing off as we were into, like, kind of uh, breaking the sound barrier of what people expected from guitar heroes. At that time, there was a lot of guitar heroism going on and it all seemed to base be based around technique and people playing Bach fugues on guitar and stuff like that and we weren't about that at all um we were groundbreaking yes but uh um it, it that groundbreaking thing didn't really help us with popularity um right. hence our image i mean if you look at the photos that that we took we were trying to look like poison or something like that a rat or some kind of like uh you know glam rock band and and that's really why people showed up to see us play because they'd see our picture and we look like every other band in the day and then when we get up on stage we'd be playing all these like uh odd time signatures and all these dissonant guitar harmonies and all this uh really difficult guitar stuff and and uh it was very strange i mean uh Girls, you know, we we were doing that for girls, you know, because girls they don't care. Once they're in, they're watching you play, they don't really care what you're playing. Right. But uh, at the time, we really uh, sonically we weren't really in the, the latest fashion at all. We weren't uh, very fashionable, but we we tried to look like every other band on the strip and probably failed miserably at it. But that's <laughs> the only thing that got us really any attention at all. Right, because the only people who could really handle musically what we were doing were were really the outsiders and the really strange, strange people and and guitar fanatics, and there weren't many of them back then. Right, right. And what about Jason's Perpetual Burn record? You're listed as a producer on that. Was that uh, like what did you do as a producer on that album? Was it more guidance, or were you heavily involved in helping him craft the songs, or what? What did a producer do on that record? On his record, uh, what I did was, um, I probably uh, was very involved in choosing takes, which takes are good, and um, developing ideas. At that point, Jason had just grown in leaps and bounds from the previous, the first Cacophony album, which he really didn't really contribute that much to. He was like literally just born. You know, he was playing amazingly, but he hadn't really developed so many ideas musically yet. But once Perpetual Burn happened, he just immediately turned into this Beethoven of brilliance. And it was just like, that was all him. That record really, really is not a whole lot of my print on it my footprint on it but uh i did uh, a lot of the sonic choices you know making things sound the way i thought they should sound and i chose a lot of the takes and maybe gave him a little direction melodic direction but the majority of the work on that record was jason right on right on well to kind of circle around here and bring it back to to modern day as i mentioned at the beginning of the interview you know you've been for a lot of us hard rock guys and heavy metal guys in the states slightly off the radar for the last decade or so but we we occasionally read stuff about you in japan that you know about you're this massive star in japan you're on tv doing numerous tv shows and you walk down the streets and everyone knows who you are and i was just wondering how accurate these descriptions are. Do you do you feel that that they are correct and you are a massive star in Japan? I would even if I was a massive star, I would never ever think of referring to myself as a massive star. And um I wouldn't I wouldn't even say that anyway. Um massive star is uh is a ridiculous comment. But uh I have done a whole lot of T V, maybe seven hundred programs. Wow. Um, so people do know who I am and, uh, people do recognize me, you know, but 
that's really meaningless in the scheme of things. It's a part of the normal day of life, you know. Um, but I have done a ton of TV and I've done a ton of music and uh, my own music and other people's music. And I've done every possible musical collaboration in Japan and um, really um, just lived out my dreams several times over here in Japan. Played the Tokyo Dome over and over, Budokan, all the biggest venues, um, done everything. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of that is accurate to a point. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm still working very hard at doing my thing, you know, so I don't really look at it the way the media puts it out. You know, everything from the media, you know, they might show uh, a picture of me doing some TV show and then people think all of a sudden that uh, uh, I'm American Idol or something like that. It's yeah. not like that. I just uh, I do a lot of television and uh, I do a lot of everything else too. I do radio. I, I have a lot of uh, stuff in newspapers and magazines and every possible media. Um, but it, it, it's all uh, just stuff I love to do. And and if it brings attention to my music, then uh, then it's all the better. Good, good. And what what initially drew you to Japan? Why did you move to Japan? There came a point in time uh, where I started listening to Japanese domestic music, um, the stuff that was currently on the charts, um, 100% of the time. And I just got real disillusioned with American, European rock and heavy metal and pop especially. And I found myself listening to Japanese music all the time and really, really digging it. And, you know, I'd look at the top ten in Japan and, like, nine of the songs I would like and want to go out and buy. And I'd look at the top ten in America and rarely there would be even one that I'd be slightly interested in. So it was really kind of a no-brainer that Japan would be the place where I'd want to, you know, add my musical contributions and where I could really do interesting things. And uh, I had no idea you know, things would get realized as well as I have wound up doing. But, uh, you know, I think any artist, you know, even calling yourself an artist is kind of lame, but any artist or real musician um, kind of intrinsically knows what they need to do to get to the next step to forward their vision. And it was like kind of a no-brainer that I had to go to Japan and work with people here. And... Um, Everybody knows. I mean, if you live in uh, Oklahoma and your favorite music is New Orleans jazz, right. it's a no-brainer that you should go to New Orleans. Totally. So it's really kind of that simple, actually. Cool. Now, I was just watching a music video for Undertow, which is one of the songs off the 2014 Marty Friedman release, Inferno. Again, a great record. Let's talk about this this music video. Uh, the girl is practicing martial arts, and and there's a, kind of a little story going on there, cut with Back to You jamming on the guitar. Um, as far as martial arts go, is it something you study or have an interest in? Actually, I have uh, almost zero interest in martial arts. Oh, okay. Um, but what I do have is an interest in the story of the video and uh, the martial arts in the video pretty much represents anything that is a thing of beauty that takes work to do and where there's outside forces trying to keep you from doing it. Uh, in the video, um, you know, it's a short video. It's only four minutes. So there's only so much story you can tell, but I mean, it's a girl who's, whose brother for some reason passed away his brother's dream was to be a martial arts person and despite her parents uh uh despite her parents not being her not wanting her to go into that type of thing she goes against them and and privately practice, practice this martial arts as karate and makes something beautiful out of it right and and um i think really the video shows the beauty of what she's doing and the beauty of like doing something with a motivation, you know, and a reason for doing it. And, um, if that comes across in the video, then, then that's pretty much the point of it. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. It does. And 
two more questions and then I'll let you go. There's a there's a band out of Japan which is really making waves here, especially in the media. But they're also I've seen them live, and they're also gaining a big fan base here in the states and in Canada called Baby Metal. And I just uh, they're they're kind of unique. They some people love them, some people hate them. Being that they are from Japan, I wanted to at least get your take on Baby Metal. Certainly. Um, well, first of all, their guitarist is the the guitarist in my solo band. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, his name is Takayoshi Omura, so he does all of my touring. Wow. As well as Baby Metal. Um, I think they're absolutely fantastic. And uh, I love them for the reason that you just said, is the fact that some people love them and some people hate them. It's very polarizing. Um, but as someone who's into metal and into pushing the extremes in metal, I think they're fantastic. Because, yeah, no, uh, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, you know, metal's been around for a long time, and if something doesn't make it fresh, it's, it's really quite laughable. You know, um, a lot of times metal becomes a character, caricature, I don't know how to pronounce it, of itself, you know, and it's just, it becomes Beavis, Beavis and Butthead, you know, unless it evolves. And some people aren't going to like it, you know. But if it takes three um, preteen Japanese girls to sing over Mashuga type of heavy metal riffs to do something interesting in metal, then so be it. Um, I just think it's a wicked project and it's done with the utmost of uh, love for the genre and the love for doing something exciting. And uh, I just think they're fantastic and uh, you're going to hear a lot more from them. Excellent. Cool. And one last question before we let, let you go. We definitely have to just give you one Megadeth question. You were a part of that classic Megadeth lineup that most people believe was you know the best megadeth lineup is there any interest from you on ever reuniting with with megadeth to do another tour or another album well i've never really uh said never to anything like that um but just because there's a vacancy in the band that's certainly no reason for me to be interested in it um you know, I have great relationships with everybody in the band, always have. Um, I would not be against considering anything that they would be willing to, uh, you know, bring up for me to consider. So if there was something that uh, would be exciting for me to consider or exciting for me to do, I would be more than willing to uh, check into it Um but I assume that there's a lot of talk about it because there's, you know, vacancy in the band. But there's right. been plenty of vacancies in the band since I left, you know. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't rule it out, but I wouldn't get your hopes up either, you know. So I yeah. really don't really have anything to say about it. I got you. Cool. And you're working on an autobiography. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. It's uh, It's been a work in progress for the last uh, several months, and we've got a couple more months to go. And... Um, it's going to be interesting because actually, you know, I've really got a lot of things that people don't know, you know. <laughs> and uh, when I was in uh, Megadeth in the America, I'm pretty much mostly known for Megadeth. But oddly enough, at that time, you know, I didn't do a whole lot of talking, you know, other than music related stuff, guitar related stuff, you know. Um, we had a vocalist who did a, a whole lot of the really interesting talking for that band. So uh, there's a whole side of the story, my side of the story, that really hasn't been told. So, of course, that'll be in there. But even a bigger part of the story is what I've done since then. Um, American person who's done well in America and then come to a completely different culture in a completely different world and a different language and a different medium, um, that whole experience I think is going to open a whole lot of eyes out there and it's got a lot of juicy information in there as well. So it's a, it's something that I've been looking forward to doing. Um, I really wasn't planning on doing it this soon really, but there've been so many offers to do it and I got a really good offer from a really great biographer to do this and a great company. And, um, so at least we got started on it and, um, 
it's it's coming along excellent. I really can't wait to for people to read it. Wow. Well, I can't wait to read it myself. So great stuff. And it's been a joy talking to you tonight, Marty. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure, Mark. It's great talking to you. I'll hope to talk to you again at some point. Likewise. Take okay. care. you just heard was I Can't Relax by Marty Friedman and Danko Jones off the Inferno record. You know anything about Danko Jones? Yeah, he's a uh, Canadian artist. Yeah, yeah, Canadian. I think it's out of Calgary or something something like that. But yeah, no, I've seen him. He, um, when Guns N' Roses toured here back in, I guess, 2008 or 2000. So somewhere in the 2000s, it was uh, Danko Jones, Sebastian Bach, and uh, Guns N' Roses. And uh, yeah, Danko is, is huge in Canada. Great following. He's got his own podcast, speaking of podcasting. And, uh, you know, he, for some reason, though, with a lot of these Canadian artists, they, they really can fill out the, the, the venues over here. But when you get them to the States or Australia or in Europe... Nobody knows about them, which is which is a bit of a shame. But but Danko's yeah. great, great talent, absolutely great yeah. talent. I haven't actually heard his podcast, but when we had um, Lydia Chris on our on our Talking Metal on this podcast, Talking Metal, um, probably like oh, a year ago or so, she was uh, she met up with John and I, and she was like, "Do you know somebody named Danko Jones? He just interviewed me for his his podcast." So. Yeah. Yeah, Lydia Chris, episode 49 of the Danko Jones podcast, according to Google. Yes. There you go. You should get Lydia on one-on-one. Have you ever spoken with her? 
Yeah, you know, uh, Lydia is an upcoming guest. Uh, I spoke to her, in fact, just this week. We're, we're trying to work out a schedule, um, you know, but she, she'll be on. And I'm also going to have Tommy Thayer's brother on, John Thayer. He's, uh, he's got a new album, and uh, we spoke about uh, Tommy wearing the makeup. And, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, and and we spoke about you know some of the fans as you know are a little harsh when it comes to Tommy wearing the yes. spaceman makeup, and uh, we got into the whole emotional side about does it hurt and does it does it not hurt and does it bother and not bother, and so that's coming up on one on one with Mitch Lafon. So, so there's some more kiss content, but absolutely Lydia Chris is on the schedule. It will happen. It's just a question of uh, finding a time that suits us to get it done. Yeah, she's great. She's a real character, you know, and she doesn't uh, she doesn't hold back at all, and, and can really tell some great stories. And she has so many of them too. Yeah. So I look forward to hearing that for sure. Mitch, thanks again, and again, guys, check out Mitch's podcast. It's part of the Talking Metal Digital uh, family, and you can check it out right on talkingmetal.com or talkingmetaldigital.com. It's also on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeart, TuneIn. It's all over the place. So definitely check out Mitch's show, which I sometimes co-host. So uh, yes. I, it's uh, it's always fun to be a part of Mitch's uh, podcast, and we're glad he was part of our podcast here today on Talking Metal. Thanks so much, Mitch. Our absolute pleasure. And just before I go, uh, yeah. You mentioned the Jason Becker interview that you did. Uh, I had a chance to read it, listen to it. Fantastic. Oh, cool. it, it was oh, really thanks. great stuff. And uh, I'm just glad that uh, Talking Metal uh, gave him a, a, a platform because Jason's a great guy. So so thank you for that. And uh, hey, good job. Yeah. And, you know, the one, I guess, scoop we got, which Blabbermouth picked up and it brought in a lot of listens, actually, is that he's mentioned that he wants to, well, A, he mentioned that there were other songs written with David Lee Roth that were recorded and and not released. And he has mentioned that he wants to release these songs, of course, without David Lee Roth's vocals, maybe another vocalist doing that part uh, on one of his upcoming records so yeah, new david cool? lee roth material with jason becker could be on the way of course without david's actual vocal so uh yeah that would be very cool well you know what i i, I hope david lee roth saw it on the internet and out of the kindness of his heart lets him use those vocals because first of all as a as a roth fan that would be cool and you know listen uh, Jason, Jason's had it hard enough. Let's let, let's cut him some slack. Let him release the songs as they are, and you know everybody wins. I think. Yeah, I mean, and it sounds like there was one song, at least one song that, again, was recorded in the studio with with Roth's vocals. Um, may have not been completely finalized the vocals, but uh, it, it there was a vocal track laid down uh-huh. for a song that Jason wrote and recorded with with david that never made that uh, a little ain't enough record so yeah why not release it you know and give give jason the money because it sounds like with all his medical and expenses you know he could definitely use it yeah and and listen david lee roth it's not up to me to tell him how to spend his money or whatever of course but i i I think he could live without you know the uh, uh royalties on this one song so let jason have it Absolutely. Definitely. All right. On that note, thanks again, Mitch, and we will see you guys next time.